morning. I'm speaking to you from my office at the moment, um, and I'm redoing our Sunday sermon as uh, we had problems around the 37th minute with the recording. So we're going to continue on with our topic for the year, which is discipleship and kingdom living. And this specific this this specific session is a pretty pivotal session for you to understand because it'll give you a phenomenal heads up and understanding for the subject of discipleship. And that is the reality of the below normal performance. Now, last week's sermon, we gave you what a normal Christian life would look like. What you have to understand about that is and the bad the, the 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 well the bad news is you'll never reach it now you'll only reach it when you see Jesus and that's why this sermon is so crucial for you to understand because it's the reality of what you are doing right now so briefly what we covered last week was the abundant life Jesus said I came that you might have life and life abundantly now the word life is one of the characteristic words that John uses in his writings. And he uses this word life two ways in his gospel. The first way he uses it is it refers to all life as we know it in the universe. And the second way he uses uses it, and more importantly, this life that he talks about represents eternal life. Now, when John wrote about this eternal life, or life, he understood that true human life is eternal life. And specifically, it is a a life that is uniquely given by God only to those who believe in Jesus Christ and accept him as Lord and Savior. So for John, true human life is meant to be an eternal, everlasting life. Eternal life refers to duration as well as quality. And Jesus was referring the quality we can have now, that that eternal duration and quality of life, we can experience that quality right here in our lives today, in abundance. That's the normal life. I read to you the scripture out of Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 10. Uh, really gives you a, a, a understanding of this and if you can understand as i said this this particular message a lot of the writings of the new testament you'll begin to get, be able to get your head around with regards to the subject of sanctification and discipleship verse 6 NIV so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as lord continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So the normal life is abundant life, it is a conquering life, it is a victorious life, it is a triumphant life, and it is a holy life. Now, before I go into today's session, 
what I want to share with you is, is pretty important and I want to give you a, a word picture. So I want you to try and develop this picture within your own mind because I'm going to come back to it substantially and build onto it. Now at this current moment, you live between two barriers. On the one hand, you have the barrier of destruction and death. And on the other hand, you have the barrier of abundant life. Now imagine yourself on a road and you are traveling forward. You are ever traveling forward on this road. This road is your life. And at a specific point, you are going to meet Jesus. That's the one thing I can assure you from Hebrews. There is an appointment for you to die and meet Jesus in judgment. He will judge you, whether you're saved or whether you're unsaved. You are going to be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, on the one hand, there is destruction and death. On the other hand, there is abundant life. Now, your job is to make sure you are moving forward. Well, moving forward is inevitable, but making sure that you are moving yourself into the direction of abundance. And this is the purpose of the whole uh, sanctification process that you endure. Now, let's move into today's message, the reality of below normal performance. At a, at a Bill Gottlob's seminar called The Basic Christian Conflicts, people were given a badge with these letters on the badge. P B P W M G I N T W M Y. What they meant was, please be patient with me. God is not through with me yet. And in essence, this is the understanding that you need to have with regards to living this current life that we're on. Paul understood this. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14, and this is a verse of scripture I'm going to read quite a few times during this message and I'm going to be going into this verse of scripture we need to understand sorry my phone went off there I'm in the office and so I've just switched off all my phones and so hopefully we'll be not interrupted again anyway the apostle Paul was acutely aware of this problem within his own life please be patient with me God is not through with me yet now Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 to 14 NRV, we read this, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love the subject of discipleship and I do my best to be a discipler of men and women. And Paul is one of my mentors. And as you've noticed, not many of my, I've not met many of my mentors. Now, he is a discipler par excellence. Philippians, the book of Philippians, the book that he wrote to the church believers in Philippi, is basically a book of a discipler writing to the people he discipled. It's a really fantastic book and I would recommend that you go and study it in the week ahead and really suck it in and, 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 and appropriate it to your life. 
Um, I'm going to give you some other passages of scripture to read as well for, for homework and in preparation for next session. Now, what I want to do before I go into the sermon is I want to give you my brief summary of this book from the disciples' point of view to the disciples. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through each chapter and pick out a couple of passages of scripture and talk to you about them. Let's start with chapter 1. So Paul opens the book with greetings to the people of the church, to the elders and to the leaders, uh, deacons and leaders of the church. And then in verse 3 to 7, he thanks them for partnering with him in spreading the message of the kingdom, partnering with him in the kingdom work. And this is something that I've really become more and more conscious of. That the besides one of the very many many aspects of the relationship between the disciple and the and, and the discipler one of them is that they are partners in promoting the kingdom work and here we see paul acknowledging them in their partnership and thanking them for that partnership verse 3 to 7 i thank my god every time i remember you in all my prayer for all of you I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ's return. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Now, a discipler also knows the condition of the people that he disciples and the state of them. And so what he's looking at is he's seen this group of people, this church in Philippi, and they're starting to develop issues and problems. And they've obviously addressed these problems to him. And he comes back with uh, how he's going to answer them with regards to, look, I know what the problem is. Here's the solution. And so we see this in verse 15 and verse 18. When I read these to you, you're going to start to understand the, the, the laser focus that Paul has with regards to uh, promoting the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to really get to understand Paul's attitude specifically as we go into Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14, the passage I read to you earlier. And we talk about the goal and the prize and what the difference between those two are. Verse 15, he says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. So obviously there are a lot of factions coming in, a lot of personality play coming in. Um, and so Paul writes back and says, look, I'm aware of all of this, but he says in verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So we've got to be very, very conscious of our primary focus. And that primary focus is to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will see what Paul's understanding of Christ's focus is when we read about it in, in, in Philippians chapter 2. Now, he then begins to prepare them for his possible not returning to them because obviously he's, he's, he's in chains at this particular moment. So he's preparing them 
for a transition in, in, in their situation, in their relationship. And we see this in verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I love that. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he's basically preparing them and he's also training them in the same manner because he uses every aspect to, to train his people. And so what he's doing is he's saying, listen, if I'm going to die, I'm going to be with Christ. If I'm going to live, I'm going to work for Christ. And this, in essence, also goes back to what we're going to be talking about with regards to the goal and the prize. And so you can see this mentality flowing through the writings of Paul all the way here. He then gives them his first instruction as they begin to face battle. And we see that in verse 27 to verse 30. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that but, but you will be saved, and that by God. For it is... For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I, I still have. So he gives them a, an instruction, and he starts to prepare them for paying the price of working for Jesus. As opposed to what we are facing today when the church is saying, well, don't worry, there is no price. To pay for following Jesus. There is. There is. It's just that we in the Western society have lived in this bubble of non-persecution for a couple of hundred years. Where the church outside of these Western democracies have be, has been under persecution and hard times since Jesus was on the earth. It's interesting. Uh, as you know, I'm doing that end time series. And uh, I've, I've been talking about Noah a little bit. And I want to read to you something regarding Noah, and that will be found in Hebrews 11 verse 7. And I want you to listen to the comparison that I'm going to make here. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by Christ. So by his faith he condemned the world. Because he was listening to what God had said. And he implemented God's plans. And he was a preacher of righteousness whilst he was doing this. His actions, his stand, his raising this godly standard. Condemned the world. Remember I've been talking to you about being life and death to people. And here Paul says the same thing to these people in Philippi. He says, uh, he says um, don't, don't be frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. So as one, as you present the gospel as one, and as you stand firm in one spirit, your stand basically is going to condemn the world. 
it's an interesting thought. I just, just, I just found that interesting as I was ministering and, and preparing for that other, other, the, the other podcast. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any fellowship from His love, if any, uh, if, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I absolutely love the way he talks to his disciples. I love the way that he sets them up into a no excuse zone and he sets them up with expectations. And it's it's just phenomenal. If you've gained anything from what I've taught you about Jesus, then there's a way that you can make me happy. Operate in the same love, operate in the same spirit, operate in the same purpose and don't be like the others. Be like Jesus Christ. Essentially, that is discipleship in a nutshell. So from verses 5 to 9, we then start to look at the attitude of the servant disciple. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So your attitude should be exactly the same attitude as that of Jesus. Attitude is your approach. It is your outlook. It is your stance. It is your mindset. Now, what you need to understand is you need to understand and know exactly who you are. But who you are needs to be presented with humility to others. Jesus knew exactly who he was. But even though he knew exactly who he was, he presented humility. Now, what is humility? It's not this fawning, um, doormat kind of attitude that gets promoted. Humility is taking everything of who you are, all your strengths, and surrendering them to someone else for their use. And so... Even though he was co-equal with God. He gave all his strength to God to use for his use. Place on yourself the form of servanthood, service. Right now we are servants. We are in the service of the king. Now I want to make a, give you a quote here. We serve people not because we are their servants. We serve people because we are sons and daughters of the king. And this service, we've got to understand this, this service is not just a service that we can say, okay, I'm, 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 I'm hiring for the job and then I'm going to leave the job. I'm, I'm going to resign at, after a certain period of time. This is a lifelong commitment. Remember, we're going to talk about goal and prize. This is a lifelong commitment. 
He is the one that is going to reward us and exalt us for the service. So in the service, we're not looking for that. We're serving him in humility, even though we know who we are. I was watching a couple of years ago this this romantic comedy uh, made in Manhattan with Jennifer Lopez in it. And I think Ralph Fine as well, Fiends as well in it. Now, yes, I do like romantic comedies, but I must also say I like action movies. I like war movies. I like zombie movies, just to keep that balance. But I do like these romantic comedies. And this one especially I enjoyed, uh, Made in Manhattan. Now, this was a, a, about a, a woman, a young woman, um, single mom, living with her mom, mother. And um, she was working as a hotel house cleaner. She would clean the rooms of the hotel. And at the same time that she was doing that, and she was really a popular person, she was a good and hard worker, and she really performed her job well. At the same time that she was doing that, she was studying management. She wanted to be a manager and she wanted to build herself up to be a manager. Now, in the story, she gets, I, I, I can't remember fully how, but she starts to, you know, really look at Ralphine and, and, and his character and, you know, and the girl, other girls of, the, of her team were teasing her. And a, a rich woman came in and had some beautiful clothes and she obviously the, the friends encouraged her to wear the clothes and she, and what happened was somehow while she was wearing those clothes of the other woman she got introduced to Ralphine and he fell in love with her and it, the, the, at, at the end is that some other girls I'm telling the story very badly so it's best that you go and watch the movie um, they found out of who she was she was just a house cleaner she was just a maid and they told on her and she got fired. Now, as she was packing up her uh, stuff to leave the hotel and she was humiliated and shamed and, and embarrassed and horrified because now she's got no income for her child and her dreams have been shattered. She's been exposed before this guy that she, you know, she, she likes. And the old, uh, her old boss, this old man, very much in the role of a butler, very strict, very dignified, pulls her aside and he gives her, he, he makes a speech to, he gives her a speech and he says these words to her. And, and, and this is, this, this sort of encapsulates for me servanthood because in ministry, a lot of people, because you come as the servant will misuse you, mistreat you. Uh, misunderstand you, abuse you, you know, talk down to you. And I've seen this so often in the ministry, it, it, it beggars belief. And that's why this, this obviously um, tickled my fancy. This really jumped out at me. And I wrote, down, I wrote down what he said. He said this, To serve people takes dignity and intelligence. And although we serve them, we are not their servants. What we do does not define who we are. What defines us is how well we rise after falling. Man, I thought that was fantastic. To serve people takes dignity and intelligence. And although we serve them, we are not their servants. What we do does not define who we are. What defines us is how well we rise after falling. The earlier quote, we serve people not because we are servants. We serve people because we are sons and daughters of the king. 
And we need to understand who we are. We are sons and daughters of the king. We are in the king's business. If you go and look at the royal families around the world today, many of them, many of their daughters and sons, princes and princesses of the realm, are always involved in the service of the nation. They're in the armed forces. They're doing all sorts of charity work, uplifting the poor and, and various needs within the community. But we do that with humility. We are servants of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we do that with humility. All right, let's move on. The second instruction he gives them is in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You have to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And in essence, this message is setting you up for the latter half of the year when we deal with what does the work of discipleship in your life look like in everyday life? What does it look like in your spiritual life? What does it look like manifesting in your character? What does it look like manifesting in your relationships? And what does it look like in your ministry? And he gives them a brief description on how they are supposed to do that. Okay, he says, when you're working out your salvation, when you're dealing with your flesh, with your sin habits, with your strongholds, and you have to deal with them, and you have to fight to move yourself away from death and destruction towards abundance. Do it without complaining and do it without arguing. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Verse 14. Now let's look at verse 15 and 16. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. That to me is such a powerful scripture because one of the key factors for me when I'm discipling young men and Carolyn is discipling young women and we're working together ministering to these young people and, they, and, they, and their marriages, we're working with them and helping them. My purpose is that they become better than me become better ministers, become better disciples, become better followers than the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm always looking for them to step up and step into a double portion of what I have. And the reason for that is that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and he's going to say, right, David, what did you do? And I'm going to say, Lord, this is what I did. And I'm going to point to young men and young women who are doing exceedingly great works for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I want to boast in, what God has done in and through me, and then hand them over to him and say, here you are, Lord, here are your children. And this is what Paul is saying here as well. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. What are the results of this kind of ministry, this kind of 
uh, apprenticeship, the, the real results? Well, for me, I see the results in verse 19 to 23. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. I mean, for me, that would be one of my greatest achievements. If someone had to say to me, listen, David, I want you to come here and I want you to minister and teach us this, this and this. And I have to say to them, listen, I honestly can't do that at this point in time. I'm, I'm got to do this, this, that and the other. But I'm going to send Timothy to you. He's better than me. I, I cannot wait for the day that that happens. I cannot uh, it makes me so excited because that is the result of true apprenticeship. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. That I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. The last section in Philippians that I want to highlight to you is in chapter 3, verse 2, where he gives them another warning about um, with regards to spiritual warfare. He says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Now it's interesting, he warns about those dogs. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Yesterday I finished a podcast on end times. You'll hear it in a couple of weeks' time. But what I wanted to share with you here is, in Revelation 22, Jesus talks about, Jesus is specifically talking about his return. And uh, from verse 12 to 16, this is what he says. Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they have, may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Now listen to this. Outside are the dogs. So what do the dogs do? They are those who practice magical arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Incredible. Just in, an interesting connection as I was preaching and, and, and sharing this with, with you. I just made that connection. Watch out for those dogs. Have nothing to do with such people. Right, let's move on. What is the secret of success? Now, for me personally, this to me is the essence of discipleship. It's the secret of discipleship. Uh, this knowing and doing, this is the difference between failure and success. Uh, this is the difference of being known and recognized as an overcomer or you're just another Christian pew-sitter. Now, what I would like you to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 17. I didn't do it when I was in the sermon because I was watching my time, but on podcast, I don't mind. But I'd like you to study this at home as well. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. 
But whatever was to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship and sharing in His suffering, become like Him in death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, who are mature should take such a view of things. And, in the, and, and, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. In essence, for me, that encapsulates the discipleship life. That, that is an understanding of a disciple. That is an understanding of an overcomer. That is an understanding of a disciple maker. That is someone who understands the, the commission that were given by Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. I've got three points to share with you. And these points are coming out of an illustration I want to give to you. Now the illustration is that of a sports scout is busy going out and looking for young athletes who have the potential to represent their country on the Olympic team and they're going to be able to now compete at the Olympic level, the worldwide international level. So what does the sports scout go and look for? So he goes out and he begins the recruitment process. Uh, please excuse my dog, he's huffing and puffing there in the background. Uh, he goes out and he starts to recruit youngsters who he believes has the potential to step into this world arena at a world-class international level. Now, I want, I want to read three passages of scripture to you out of Matthew 4 and Matthew 9. And this is about Jesus calling a couple of his disciples. I want you to notice aspects in here. Now, the first thing I want you to notice when Jesus called these guys, was that they were all busy. Now, that's not the one thing I want to focus on, but it is important when, when you are recruiting. Look for people who are busy. Look for people who are active. Um, look for people who, who are engaged, because they're going to be engaged in the things of God as well. The other thing that I want you to look to is that they came from everyday life. So Jesus walks up to them and he calls them out of their daily professions into an international ministry. That, that's what I want you to look for here. Matthew 4.18 And as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. So here Jesus walks into a local business, 
calls the two business owners, this is my perception, and he says, come follow me, I'm going to make you hunters of men, fishermen, fishers of men. And they did. Matthew chapter 4, 21 to 22, going, going on from there, he saw two brothers, James son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing the nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So he's calling employees out of their workplace. And he's saying, you come along and follow me. Ordinary people out of an ordinary work situation, come, I'm going to make you an international player. I'm going to put you on an international stage. Matthew chapter 9 verse 9, as Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them, and Matthew got up and followed him. So he walked into a government office and he said, you come follow me. Ordinary people, all right, Jesus, the greatest of them all, called his disciples from everyday life, from all walks of life. Now, to all intents and purposes, they had no training they had no evidence of previous ministerial work. They had no formal religious education. The only potential within them was through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw it in them. And so he went and he recruited them. Now, can you imagine how those men must have felt? Because they knew about Jesus. They knew about his reputation. And now suddenly this man who's creating miracles and all kinds of stuff around their region has walked up to them and said, come follow me, I'll become my disciples. You know, ordinary men, given the call up to walk in the big leagues, to play on the world stage. You know, they must have thought they'd made it. This is it. This is the prize. We've made it. We've, got, we've, we, we, we've gotten called up onto the team. We're on the team. We're now going to be prepared for the Olympics. Now listen, getting called onto the team, that has been prepared for the Olympics and that is not the prize. So let's start looking at this thing called the goal and the prize. The goal in this illustration this Olympic illustration, is to be a world-class Olympic athlete and to complete, compete in the race, to have the opportunity to compete in the race. That's the goal. I've made the team. I want to compete in the race. That's the goal. I want to run this race. That's the goal. The prize is that huge medal you get after winning the race. You get the lucrative deals. You get the endorsements. You get the sponsorships. You get the commercial opportunities. And all kinds of avenues open up for you. That's the prize. The prize is at the end of the valley of the goal. It's at the end of the valley of the shadow of death. It's at the end of the valley of your life. It's at the end of the road. The first illustration I gave you at the beginning of the message. The road that has got two barriers. One destruction and death and the other abundance. So the prize you get is at the end of the road, the abundant life, the normal Christian life, the everlasting life. The goal right now is to run this race. Now, what does that mean? The second point I want to bring out to you is that there is a big difference between the goal and the prize. And if you can understand this, it's going to help you in understanding discipleship and making disciples. 
I have found in my years of ministry that not many Christians can understand the difference. And when, when, they, when they mix up the two, it leads to a lot of stagnation. Let's read Philippians chapter 3 verse 13 to 14 again NIV. And I'm going to read it three more times out of the Amplified Version and then in my version. Allah David. Right, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold, taken hold of it. That's the prize. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What you have to understand is you need to have the mentality and the attitude of an Olympian athlete. And that's why you got those illustrations later on where Paul talks about running the race, talk, Paul talks about wrestling, Paul talks about putting your body under subjection and pain, stepping to yourself outside of your comfort zones so that you can have that mental attitude to pursue the goal so that you can ultimately win the prize. And this is the same attitude and mentality that you should be teaching Joe the disciple. So you should be raising him up not to become entitled and enable him, as most of churches do today, but empower him to become an overcomer, someone who is better than you, who can minister better than you, who can, who can operate as a disciple better than you, who can make disciples better than you. That's what your attitude should be towards Joe the disciple. Same passage, Amplified Version, verse 13. I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet. But one thing I do, it is my one aspiration, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the mark to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. Now, this is my version. This is how I see it. I don't know it all, nor do I consider myself an expert and arrived. But there is only one thing I reach out to with a laser focus. In doing that, I disregard the past and everything and everyone or anything that will prevent me from achieving my goal. And that is to become as much like Jesus Christ himself here on earth as I possibly can. Okay, so what is the goal? The goal is to become as much like Jesus Christ here on earth as I possibly can. The goal is to get on with your life, heading down that road and steering towards abundance more and more and more. I don't know it all, nor do I consider myself an expert and arrived. But there is only one thing I reach out to with a laser focus. In doing that, I disregard the past and everyone or anything that will prevent me from achieving my goal. And that is to become as much like Jesus Christ himself here on earth as I possibly can. So there's a difference between the goal and the prize. The goal is to become as much like Jesus as you possibly can. The prize is to be with Jesus. Right. Number three, the goal is to become like Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13. Amplified. 
that it might develop until we all attain oneness in the faith and in the comprehensive comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God, that we might arrive at a really mature manhood, the completeness of personality, which is nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection, the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ and the completeness found in Him. We've been picked to be on this team. It's an international team. Jesus has seen our potential. He is our Savior. And He's come along and He's called us onto the team. And He said to us, listen, I want you to play this game at a local, national, and an international level. Make disciples. Here at LifeHouse, we attempt to give you that opportunity through the apostolic teams. So the goal of being on the team is to become like Jesus in every aspect of your life and to help others run the same race as you are running. The prize, when we accomplish that goal, we will then receive our prize. Now that there is a big danger of making the prize the goal and the goal the prize. Now remember this. The goal is to become like Jesus. The prize is to be with Jesus. You get the prize when you die or when you're raptured, when you're with Jesus forever. Eternal life, abundance, the normal life. That's what we were meant to have. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, the goal. For the joy set before him endures the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, the prize. Right, now I'm going to add to that illustration of being trained in the Olympics. So now, like in the passage of, we've just read from Hebrews here, we've walked into the stadium and there are thousands upon thousands of people cheering and there are different people doing different events and we get called up to do our event. And so what starts to take place now is, as in most athletes, our, our, our focus now starts to laser in on the race, the goal that we have to do and so as we get to our starting blocks our focus now starts to exclude the crowd around us and we take in the starter his assistant and we take in the runners next to us now we've got an awareness of what's going on around in the field and we see in the middle of the field the podium where number one two and three are going to get their awards and our laser focus now starts to narrow even more down to the blocks and then we get given the orders on your marks and we get into the blocks and we get our set and we get everything set and we now prepare our minds to, to step outside of our comfort zones. We are going to endure extreme pain and discomfort by pushing ourselves beyond limits so that we can achieve the prize. But the prize will only be achieved after we've expended every ounce of energy and pain, endured pain by pushing our bodies beyond its limits and running to the best of our ability so that we can break that tape first. 
as a spiritual Olympian, as a discipleship, the apostle declares, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it. But one thing I do, forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. A real stirring analogy that. So it inspires us to press on through our pain to achieve the great things for God. But there's a big difference between reaching the goal and receiving the prize. Achieving the goal and receiving the prize. Whoever reaches the goal, crosses the finish line as a winner, automatically gets the prize. Paul said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Now, let's change that scenario just a little bit. We're at the starters lines and we're beginning to laser focus in on what's taking place. And we get the, the, the starter puts us in, into our blocks. On your marks. And in the corner of our eye, instead of laser, laser focusing, we're seeing a couple of athletes going up on the podium in the middle of the field. And we have a, the, the, the sun get set. And we see the, the, the people with the gold medal run, walking towards them to present them a gold medal. And the starter gun fires. But we start to realize, hang on a second, that's my prize in the middle of the field. And so we stop running. We walk across our, uh, and, and cut across the other runners. And we walk across to the middle of the field and we grab hold of the gold medal before it's able to be presented to the winner of the gold medal and say, this is my gold medal. This is my prize. All, I, all I've done is cut across the field and get it. I don't have to run the race. I've got my prize. If you haven't finished the race, how can you claim the prize? I don't know how many of you have watched the movie Zoolander. And Zoolander 2 is out, so this is 2016 if you're hearing this later than that. But in the first Zoolander movie, they were at an award ceremony. Now, sometimes in movies, you can have a scene that makes you so excruciatingly embarrassed for the actors. And you get embarrassed it's so bad. And this was one of those scenes for me. And they were at this award ceremony where they're going to be crowning the... Um, model of the year and Zoolander basically thought that he's got it because of his new look that he's developed which is whatever blue steel or whatever and so as the announcers the two presenters got up one is holding the beautiful trophy and the other one is opening up the envelope and the winner of the male award is and as she's beginning to open up the award Zoolander jumps up gets on stage pumping his fist in the air grabs hold of the trophy, walks to the podium and begins to give his thank you speech. And she then announces the name of somebody else who's actually won it. But he doesn't hear because he's just carrying on with his speech. And there you've got one presenter trying to pull the, the, the trophy out of his hand. The other presenter trying to tell him, no, you haven't won and the embarrassment that floods the audience, the humiliation when he realizes what has taken place, he didn't win the prize, but he's claiming as if he did. And yet, tragically, I see this happening in the church. You know, we, we, we in the Western church, especially, I see this taking place. We're not willing to run the race. We're not willing to become like Jesus. But we want to be with Jesus. 
We all want the price, but we're not willing to pay the price of walking towards abundance, allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us to achieve God's purposes in us for His glory. And we've got this worldly mentality coming into the church and it's coming in far quicker than I ever would have imagined. And everybody wants the prize, but not everybody is prepared to participate in the goal. Lord, I want this anointed ministry. I want this mighty outpouring of your, your, of your presence. I mean, in one church, there's a promotion where they, where they promote and actively encourage young people to go and, go and lie on the graves of the old saints who've been buried. And so you've got pictures on the internet of these youngsters draping a line and, and, and su supposedly absorbing the anointing of people like C.S. Lewis and all these other people that have gone to be with the Lord. The, the crowd that is sitting around witnessing us, here these people are lying on their graves now, wanting their anointing. Necromancy, if ever I've seen it. They want the prize, they want the anointing, but are they willing to pay the price that those people paid? Just go and read some of these people's stories. People that experienced the presence of God, the price that they had to pay in their lives. People that had great ministries, the price that they had to pay in their lives. They ran the goal, they ran the race. Lord, I want the prize without the race. How do you think that's going to sit? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will, la will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the, from the prize. So the problem here is that our goal has become the prize, and we think the prize is the race. So, so many people just walk into the church, sit down and get told, okay, you've got Jesus now. Sit there and wait. No, 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 no. There is a goal. There is a race to run. You've got to run, to, run into abundance. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to work His way, work His life into you. So we accept the Lord as Savior, walk onto the athletics track, cross over to the winner's podium, accept the medal and the flowers and the reward, but we don't compete in the race. And what is the race? To become like Jesus. And so we've confused church growth Commission, revival, powerful ministries, financial blessing, extreme prosperity, uh, as, as if these are the real goals, when in fact, it's the price. So what is the goal? The goal is to become like Jesus. And there will be a price that you will pay in developing that intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. For Paul, the goal was a personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.10, to know him, gnosko, intimate knowledge, intimate relationship. Not as a master of theology, 
knowing about him, but knowing him personally by a relational interaction. This is the same for any relationship. That intimacy is going to pay, have a price to pay. There is an investment. There is a cost. It is an act of self-giving. You put yourself into an area of vulnerability to another. It's a powerless place. A place of transparency and weakness. It's what we call the, the way of the cross. The self-emptying of Christ. And we read that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 9. In your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, 5-9, verse 6. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 to 16. Therefore my dear friends. As you have always obeyed. Not only in my presence. But now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act. In order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God. Without fault in a warped and crooked generation that you will shine among, among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Many, many Christians will have to undergo a fundamental shift in their mentality and attitude with regards to discipleship. We've been deceived into believing that success is the goal. When all the while Jesus, becoming like Jesus and developing an intimate relationship with Jesus is the goal. So what has been promoted in the church today is a very, very self-centric Christianity. Getting books, books put out of, for example, the title, I Am. And so a whole religious system is now moving towards the self-centric Christianity that places man in the center it's just humanism painted up in the form of biblical Christianity. But it's just humanism at the, at the root of it all. God and the church exist to save me. He exists to heal me. They exist to pastor me. They must comfort me. They must help me. They must deliver me. We forget what it's all about. Romans eleven thirty six four. From him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's all about Jesus. It's about you becoming like Jesus. And it's about you ultimately being with Jesus. I attempt to live my goal, my life, according to this goal here in Paul's doxology here in Romans 11.36. From, through, and to. I try to the best of my ability to root everything that I am, who I am, what I am, from Him. And then I try to the very best of my ability to do everything 
through him. And so the results go back to him. That is, that is my goal. That is what I attempt to do. From, through, to. And that explains the essence of my discipleship to the Lord and my relationship with God. And that's what I'm attempting to do. And that's what I attempt to train my, my young men that I, that I raise up as disciples. So our walk with him on that road between the two barriers is a realignment that needs to take place and it's a daily spiritual battle that we have to fight until we experience him in the person. And so there's a realignment that takes place, a fight that takes place. The more I become the center of my life, the more I will move into the area of destruction and ultimate death. The more He becomes the center of my life, the more I will move into the area of abundance. So unless my self-worth, my sense of being, my identity as a person comes from Him, and that is energized through Him and directed back to Him, if, if, if I don't practice that, if I don't put that into practice, if I don't get habits around me to make sure that that takes place, what will happen is I will then begin to fill that aspect of me with other stuff, created things. I will make other things my God. If I don't walk from Him, if I'm not walking through Him, if I'm not walking to Him, I am then taking on an identity within myself or my identity that is based on a position, based on a title, based on a career, based on possessions, based on how much money I have in the bank, based on various different types of relationships that I have, based on how successful I am in the church movement, in my ministry, my understanding of theology, in my productivity, in my success. And what does the Bible call all of that stuff? idolatry and when we open the door to idolatry we then also open the door to witchcraft and that's when we get into very very scary areas within the church and within our lives the normal christian life as i shared last session and I touched on a little bit this week and this in this session is actually not the norm that christians this side of heaven actually operate on. We all fall short of that norm because it is the ideal, it is the prize. And we are always working towards that ideal, headed towards the prize. And the goal towards which we are continually moving towards is that prize, is that abundant life, is that normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is a life lived with Jesus. If there is no progress towards abundance, then there is a stagnation taking place in my life. And as far as I'm concerned, if we are stagnating, we are backsliding because we are moving forward and we are using up the time that has been allotted to us 
And if we are not growing towards abundance, we are stagnating and we are in a backslidden state. That's my personal opinion. We need to know Him better. We need to be more like Him. We need to love Him more. And that is the ideal. The normal life, the ideal, the absolute goal, the purpose to which we are progressing. Now, Paul talks about this as transforming. And I'm going to start wrapping this up now. Paul talks to us about this transforming into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8, 28 to 30. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to conform to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. In verse 18 of Romans chapter 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Can you imagine the pain of all those years the Olympic athlete trains? The sacrifices of getting up early in the morning, going out, training when everybody else is sitting on a couch enjoying fellowship, watching the movies. And they're out there in the cold training. Can you imagine the nervousness getting onto that athletics track, world competitors around you? getting down into that race and straining yourself to win that race. And when you've won and you've got the prize in your hand, I'll guarantee you not one Olympic athlete or athlete, world-class athlete who has won a prize will bemoan the fact that it cost them to get there. When we get our prize... We will say like Paul, I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that is to be revealed in us. That goal is not fully realized on earth. That's the prize. And as God is patient with us, we need to be patient with ourselves. Not allowing that patience as an excuse for further sin, but patience in terms of understanding the difference between the goal and the prize. We must be patient with others. Not that we give them an excuse to indulge in sin, but we understand that they are on the race headed towards the prize. As I end off this, I want you to understand something. You who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been picked to operate at an international level in an international team, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. You're on the team. You're on the team. And I want to encourage you to break every type of hole that is preventing you from running the go running in the goal uh, fulfilling the goal personally becoming more like Jesus and then getting yourself involved in making disciples for Jesus on a worldwide level get out there get out there 
in your recruitment process locally. Get out there in your recruitment process nationally. Get out there internationally and go and start spreading the gospel of the kingdom, the, the, the gospel of discipleship, the, the gospel of the good news of the kingdom. Discipleship, how to make disciples. The world needs true disciples of the Most High God. In the next session, I'm going to complete this introduction and then Carolyn's going to take over by talking to you about raising a godly standard. But next session, I'm going to be talking about three things. I'm going to be highlighting a couple of barriers that are going to prevent and slow down this discipleship process. Things that are going to try and prevent you from achieving the goal and prevent you from getting into that abundant living. I'm going to be looking at the difference between Christians that have been enabled in the church and Christians that have been empowered in the church. And then I'm going to end off with talking to you about the levels of a deacon. And that is a practical picture of what this looks like in your daily life. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a heads up in that by saying this is what it looks like in practice. And we're going to touch on the four areas that we're going to be discussing later on in the year. What does it look like? What does discipleship, this kingdom living look like in my spiritual life, in my life?